1: Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hey, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. I uh, hope everyone's holding up well. I have three questions. And my first one is, I'm a single working mother, and I have an only child. She's seven years old and stuck at home while I'm working thanks to COVID. Recently, she began talking and playing with an imaginary friend. Is this a sign she's lonely and stressed? Should I be worried? Uh, So, no. No reason to be worried at all. Um, In fact, there's some opportunities here. Uh, What I can share with you is that, uh, on average, or certain research has shown, that by age seven, about 65% of our kids will actually have an imaginary friend. And uh, really, the prime time for that to sort of show up is sometime between three and 11. It seems to have something to do with their uh, development of uh, something called social intelligence and certainly creativity. And so it's, it's not a, a sign of exceptionality in any way. But um, what happens is sometimes ar- around the age of four or five, kids develop something called theory of mind or the capacity for something called theory of mind. And what that is, is to have the ability to understand that different people have different thoughts and see the world differently and um, have f- things that are see the world and have wants and needs that are different than yours, different opinions, different way of seeing things, different way of being and acting. So it's getting inside the mind of another. So what we do tend to see is that although boys do tend to make uh, friends, they often kind of have like superpowers or more like superhero friends, but girls, um, by and large, are more likely to have imaginary friends. And we do seem to see it more in only children or firstborn children. And what's interesting is to watch really the dynamics that play out with her imaginary friend. Is she bossing her friend around, her imaginary friend around? Or is she being more nurturing and competent? Sometimes it's a great way for kids to exhibit a sense of control. You know, because they can make up the scenario. They can say if their friend is hungry and um, wants to eat. And then, of course, they can say, oh, well, my friend wants to have crackers. So I get to decide on crackers for her. And, um, you know, her friend might be somebody who needs a lot of help. Well, you can't get the crackers, but I know how to get crackers. And you don't know how to do up your seatbelt, but I can buckle you in. And so there's sort of this competency control um, opportunity for maturity that they can express. So watch how they play with their friend, and um, and you can engage. It's totally fine to say, you know, is your friend hungry? Would she like to have some crackers too? But you might also say, did you ask your friend, are you sure she wants crackers? She might have an opinion as well, because I think it's a time for socializing on how we treat people and how we play properly with people, whether or not it's an imagined friend or a real friend. You would say the same thing if she had a play date and she decided uh, for her friend. And it gives you an opportunity to say, thank you. You really know how to be a good friend. You really know how to care for your friend. You know how to do seatbelts. That's really helpful. So you can use this imaginary friend as a a learning opportunity. What I would uh, not engage in is some kids can discover that if they make up their imaginary friend doing things that becomes demanding of you or disrupts the family, then the kids might discover this is kind of like a unique way of controlling the family and not getting in trouble themselves so you know if you have a friend it's like well I'm ready to get in the car but you know my my friend doesn't have her shoes on yet you know come on get your shoes on well so if if it's suddenly like well I'm not the problem maker you know let's let's peg it on Uh, my imaginary friend but in the end it's your child who's dawdling and not doing what's needed Um, so I would not be being put out by the imaginary friend (laughs) I would just proceed well we need to go with your friend or not your friend you're going to have to get her to hurry up because I'm going to go wait in the car so I would still continue with sort of my my discipline and not being held up by the creations that she is making for her imaginary friend so um I I don't think this is a sign of stress. Is it a sign of loneliness? Well, I mean, if it is coming out of I need a playmate, but I can make one up in my head, there's nothing wrong with that. Just the same way as... Um, I don't have any playmates, but I'm going to play Lego on my own or I'm going to play with Little Pony on my own. It's it's exactly the same thing. So, sure, it could be the creativity of resolving boredom and loneliness, but it's, um, it's a healthy one is what I'm saying. So isn't that great that um, that she can have that going on and keeping her mind active and learning life skills while, uh, while you work? So, no, I would not. I would not worry. Uh, question number two. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions around deterring negative behavior with our pets. Uh, this is kids with pets. Not, not, I'm not giving pet advice here. Uh, we have two sons, age five and nine. And over the past month, our five-year-old has been hurting the pets. And we have yet to find a solution to deter it. Uh, we have two senior cats and a dog and I feel as though we need to watch our son every minute around them. I don't know what motivates him to behave this way with them. Is it curiosity? Is it because he can? Does he think it's okay? My husband and I are animal lovers, which makes this behavior even more difficult to witness. Our son watched while we set bugs free from inside our house, rescue wildlife that is injured and always interact with animals in a loving and positive way. So he has seen these behaviors modeled Here are some examples of what he has done or will do to the pets. Pull their tails, pull their ears, poke them in the eye, lay on the dog, grab the dog's collar and pull them where he wants to go. Pull on the dog's penis, lift the cats up despite being told not multiple times. And we've explained why that they're older and could get hurt and their bones might be broken if they fall. He has even tried to choke one of our cats on more than one occasion. Whenever he acts like this with one of the pets and we witness it, we consequent him immediately. We tell him no, sometimes as a shout because it's upsetting to see. And we have a rule in our house that if we hurt someone, it is an automatic timeout. So he's sent to his room. Afterwards, we talk about why what he has done is wrong and how he doesn't want to hurt our pets because they're part of the family. And we love them. And we want to be kind to the animals in our world. When we ask him why he did it, he says, I don't know. We are both at a loss at what to do moving forward. What we have been doing does not deter him in the slightest. Since the pandemic, being home all these times, it made it worse because the pets don't get much time without him around. Any suggestions or strategies you could offer would be greatly appreciated. Well, thank you for this. Let me um, start by saying you ask a wonderful question, which is, you know, let's understand the behavior before we try to come up with what the remediation or the correction is is going to be. It always comes from a position of understanding. And what I'm hearing here is that there is a great family value for loving animals and, uh, and respecting animals. So um, you've modeled that, which I think is really important. Now, one of the things that when we have something is a really high value, sometimes that's also where our kids will know that we are going to get a different reaction than something that is of less value. And so um, there is greater energy that goes into the response that comes if he kind of touches on one of your values and and disagrees with it. So, you know, if you really want to upset somebody who really loves animals, a good way to do it would be to pick on their animals. And if you really wanted to upset somebody who really loved cars, you might scrape their car or take markers to the back of their car. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Like, you know, he's he's kind of going for the thing you love. Now, the interesting thing with pets is um, that pets can actually really play um, a role in the family, like siblings play a role in the family. And to your point, you said they are our family members. We need to love our family members. So, could it be, and could it be that maybe this five-year-old is feeling like with these older cats and dogs that have been around and this nine-year-old brother that he's really the baby in the family and he, he might find that um, everybody else is, is sort of getting valued more than he is. You know, don't, don't hurt the cats, don't hurt the dog. It doesn't matter that you want to play with them. I'm going to support and take the side of the animals over you. I'm just trying to get inside the mind of what a five-year-old might be thinking. So he might really feel a little bit discouraged about his place in the family that that you know you care more about the the cat's broken bones and I'm not going to drop him and you don't think I can carry him you don't care that I'm interested in wanting to play with the cat you're you're going to take the cat's side so he may he may be feeling discouraged about his about his place in the family and um the other thing is that he um he's pretty uh, one of the social payoffs that you tip your cards on here is that you say that um that you have to watch him all the time in order to, to make sure that this doesn't occur. So he's also discovered a way to keep you on a short leash and engaging with him because lo and behold, if he got rid of this behavior and he started treating the pets right, you might stop watching and staying close and you might go off and get busy doing something else. But so long as he's disturbing, then you have to supervise so that may be one of the benefits. The supervision might be one of the benefits. So, you know, how are we going to turn this around? I don't think education is needed here in the sense of, I think he knows about bones, and I think he knows about caring for animals, and I think he knows all about your values. You know, once you've said it once, um, he, he's he got the education. He's five. His brain has taken that in. So now we have to really just kind of get the felt experience of how we of, um you know, some experiential um, training about why we might want to do things differently. So one of the things I would do is how can we make this five-year-old show up in the family in another way of significance? What does he do really well? What strengths does he have that he could get more notice for, more energy around, be able to contribute to the family functioning? And you haven't described him much, but one thing we see is that he's he's clearly engaged with these animals. And just to be very clear that, you know, when we're looking at kids who are heartless and sociopaths and really have, like, problems, they're hurting animals and succeeding, and they would do it in a way that they wouldn't get caught, and they're also fascinated with fires. And I'm not hearing that in what you're saying. I'm hearing just the right amount of provocation, um, such that, yeah, they might not, they, they pester their animals, um, but he's not drawing on them with markers and catching them on fire and, you know, being dramatic. But I mean, these. Things happen. So he's he's pestering. And it's uh part of it is he 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 may actually wish that they had a better relationship with him, like a sibling. He may want them to play with him, he may want that playmate. Um, but I'm thinking more likely he's doing it to engage you for for undue attention seeking. And he may have a bit of a reputation now around I'm that guy. I'm I'm the animal bugger. And so I want to help him relieve himself of that badge, that title that he's been holding so well for the last little bit, and uh, invite him to show up in the family in another way. So what other way could he engage in the animals? Do you ask him to groom the animals? Do you ask him to feed the animals? Do you ask him to come along with you when you go to the vet? Is there pro-social ways that he could be better? Is there ways that you could say... Um, You know, I know you'd like to spend more time with the cat and you'd like to pick him up. Uh, Let's save that for our playtime this afternoon when I'm available and we'll do that together. So that he's not demanding your attention, but you're showing him how he might have more opportunity for animal play that's supervised on a schedule, not as an unwitting way to pull you away from other things that that you need your time. The other thing I would say is that... um, you know, the animals can participate a little bit in this, too. I know we're kind of in lockdown or whatever, but, um, you know, I think he probably has a sense of justice and wouldn't like it if the animals uh, actually had to, like, stay in crates or, you know, if the cats have to go to a bedroom and they need to be up there and, until, um, until a certain time of the day. So it might seem a little bit... Uh, that he feels, oh well, you know, I I didn't treat the cat fairly. Now she has to go stay in the bedroom. That that's not very nice. I didn't want that outcome. Um, so you know, I do find that that crates and basements and bedrooms and things, and not that you're gonna keep them there forever, but it's just swift and decisive. And it means that you're not controlling his behavior, but you're just controlling the situation. And if you can do that a few times, that might be the the experience of I, you know, well, I didn't reach my goal of engaging my parent. I didn't really get the outcome that I wanted. Nobody's mad, nobody's paying attention to me. It was just swift and decisive. And now I'm I got to find other ways. So I do think that we have to go back to this. How does he belong? How does he make his contribution? You know, does he have a bit of a problem with his feelings of self-esteem and and importance? Has, uh, has he been corrected so many times that he's starting to get the idea that he's kind of like the bad kid? In which case, we need to load him up with encouragement. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Fill his bucket. And again, not just with, you know, Verbal statements of his wonderment, but like I said, find his strengths, find the good parts of his character and his nature, and really put your energies and time into getting him engaged. Um, so, if he's good at art, have him drawing pictures for the family. Um, if he's good at humor, have him do, rehearse a skit or a sketch or something and perform it at dinner. So something like that. If he's organized, give him a job of organizing the pantry or something. That's where where i would be focusing the energy and trying to like really bring down the the animal piece i i I suspect there's a little animal jealousy love feeling going on at the bottom of all that um so i hope that's get you started hope that's helpful um remind him you are so kind you are so gentle you sure love our pets they sure love you (laughs) all right and my last question of the day here Should we encourage our 16-year-old son to get a job? I think he's bored and wasting his summer on video games. My wife thinks it's been a tough year for him with COVID and the loss of the school year, so she thinks he shouldn't be pressured to do anything he doesn't want to do. Oh, to work or not work. Well, it's weird times, right? Because I think a lot of... Uh, the workforce, um, we're really relying on some of our teens to to do some of this essential essential work, you know, to work at Subway and to work cashiers at the grocery store because we all need to still function. And we also know that teens, um, and the research is still out, and again, I keep saying over and over again in my podcasts, uh, my expertise is in Adlerian psychology and family counseling. It is not in COVID and disease prevention and <laughs> public health. So speak to your authorities in your area. But the discussion that's been going on here is that uh, children and teens seem to be far less likely to actually uh, uh, develop the symptoms and the the illness and have the same threats to to COVID as uh, older people. And uh, they may be a carrier, but um, now there are things where they're discovering there's other complications and things, but... um, in terms of the relative safety of our kids using good social distancing and all the measures that a workplace that would be allowed to be open in the stage of lockdown or unlocking, as it were, were in... Um stage three in a lot of Ontario, still stage two in Toronto, where I'm recording from. Uh, but you'll see all the accommodations that have been made, you know, that surfaces are cleaned and um only so many people at a time and tables so far apart, and you know, grocery belt lines have to be wiped before the next customer. There's all kinds of protocols in place. So if we assume that they can do the protocols and um and the government has said that, that can that job can be filled, and and um then I don't think there's a health risk that hasn't been thought of in terms of them going out. If they're severely anxious, and some people are, there's a subjective piece to our feelings of safety. Um, I would take that into consideration. But generally what I would say is you really can't decide this for your child. And that's why I like your word, encourage my 16-year-old as opposed to make my 16-year-old. That if you make a decision for him and he does not have buy-in on this, what are you going to do when he doesn't want to go to work? I mean, he'll show up late, he'll get himself fired. It's it's uh, It just creates conflict. So the question becomes, what's where's his opinion about all this? Have you sat down with him and written the pros and cons? And maybe he hasn't thought through that in a more formal way. And some of the things that you can add on the pro list that maybe he hasn't even thought of is that, in fact, it is very social. You know, like, I already have friends. But, you know, working together is one of the best ways to make friends. You know, it's, it's much easier to make friends working with people than it is to just go socialize at a party because it's very hard to make small talk. So it's a great way to make friends. It's a great way to make the time go faster. You might think about whether he has some financial goal that he would like to reach. I know a lot of young people are saving for, like, long boards or video games or saving for a car one day. So sometimes the interest in saving money and actually having a financial plan in place is is great there. Uh, you may at 16 decide that you want to reevaluate what you're funding. And what I mean by that is, yeah, It's pretty hard to get excited about going out and earning your own money for something if you know that you're getting a big fat allowance and a big cash payout at Christmas and you're like, yeah, I just get money. I don't have to really earn it. So you may have to look at whether your allowance and handing out is making it um, a little bit too fat for the cat. And uh, um, because of what's the name of a great Adlerian book, fat dogs don't hunt, uh, that things have to be a little bit leaner to create some of that motivation for kids to want to push past their fears of a new situation, uh, or fears of not being competent at a job, um, and have some bigger motivation to, to overcome that and actually get going at it. Uh, you might also want to talk about some of the other skills that you actually learn. It, it, kids do tend to say, you know, I felt really good about myself at my job. I was really good at it. And it's a great thing to put on a resume. And uh, they can be considerate about what kind of skills they actually want to get. You know, if they like working outside, then maybe they want to get a job that's doing gardening work. And that could be formally through a gardening company. But, you know, they can also be entrepreneurial in spirit and just see whether or not there's people in the neighborhood that are looking for some, some lawn care. So they might have a pre conceived idea that every teen job is is you know whatever being a cashier and maybe they don't want to be a cashier and they haven't thought of all the many different ways that they could be engaged we We certainly need a lot of our young people to do tutoring, to do supervision of kids that parents are working, you know, assuming that bubbles and all that kind of stuff is, is working. So I would go and just create that list of pros and cons and talk about maybe some of your youth experiences, some of the things that you liked about it, and ultimately say your opinion about it is fine. And it's okay that you, that two parents have two different opinions. You can say, "Well, mom thinks that you should just kick back and relax and and not have stress." But I think for the little bit of stress that you'd actually get all these other benefits, and it wouldn't be stressful at all. I think it would actually reduce your stress. So we have a different opinion about that. What do you think? And uh, and then I think you you can let the chips fall where they where they may. Um, I really find that when again you really can't. Make decisions for or try to control or coerce teenagers. But um, open dialogue, sharing of information, inspiration, helping them overcome their own. Uh, self-limiting beliefs by having faith in them, uh, not cooperating where you think that they can't manage. I think those are all kind of uh, prime principles that that come into place here. And so, um, so we'll see how this unfolds and whether he takes a little nibble about that. And you'll learn a little bit more about him and his priorities by getting into a to a conversation about it. So, uh, hope that's helpful. And keep sending in your questions, folks. I um, I appreciate it. Yeah, I will tell you that if you follow me uh, online... There is an upcoming uh, summit, and I'm talking about teens and high-risk behaviors, and that's an online summit that you can sign up for. And the other thing is there is an international summer school that'll be going on for the next two weeks. And again, it'll be, um, it's usually in real life, but because of COVID, the international conference that was um, planned, they've moved it to an online event, which is um, too bad because it's a great thing to go to with families and everything. But it does mean that you're able to not travel and still have access to international speakers um, that are in the Adlerian community from around the world. So I will post the uh, the link to that registration as well. So two two big events coming up at the end of the month. And uh, just to remind you that if you want more information like this, uh, jump on and subscribe to my e newsletter, which is at the bottom of every one of the pages on my website. And so you will get pinged and notified if there are uh, upcoming uh, events that are Edlerian and that I think would be suitable for you. So um, please sign up. Other than that, stay happy, stay well, look after one another, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Keep sending in those questions. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishnabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit.